Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. I'm Mark Sennett, the CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters magazine. We're delighted this podcast is once again sponsored by the Health and Safety event, which is set to take place on the 27th, 28th and 29th of April 2021 at the NEC in Birmingham. Now you can register to attend the event and you'll also get access to the security event, the facilities event, the health and safety event, main tech, and for the first time, the emergency services show, which all take place at the same time at the NEC. If you register for the health and safety event, your ticket will get you access to all the other shows. So if you'd like to find out more information, all you need to do is go to the health and safety event website, which is www.healthandsafetyevent.com. So if you want to find out more information about health and safety matters, please do visit our website, which is www.hsmsearch.com. And it's worth going there because you can subscribe to get our magazine, our print magazine, six times a year for free, or to get our twice a week e-newsletter. And we've got all the latest prosecutions, news and products in the sector. And if you go to our webinars tab on there, you can also listen to our back catalogue of webinars and get CPD points for this. So without further ado, let's get started straight away into the news. And we've got a fair bit to cover this week. So the first news story I wanted to go over was the news that COVID-19 breaches are down on construction sites. Good news. And this news comes out of the Building Safety Group, BSG, which has reported a 41% decrease in the number of COVID-19 breaches occurring on construction sites over the last three months. BSG's report is based on 4,400 independent site inspections carried out between the 1st of June and the 31st of August of this year. The drop in breaches has been attributed to more companies successfully adapting to new working practices on construction sites in light of the pandemic. Over time, it's expected this trend will continue and the industry will become more accustomed to operating under these restrictions that have been imposed by the coronavirus. The most common types of COVID-19 non-compliance that were reported by BSG safety advisors include the following. Management and operatives not following social distancing guidelines, inadequate warfare facilities with insufficient cleaning regimes, too many people in the canteen area with insufficient segregation, not enough hand sanitising stations on site, PPE not available when required, and outdated site operating procedures found on the site. So... Actually, you know, it's interesting there if you're working on a construction site to see the common failings that are there. No surprise, social distancing being an issue and welfare facilities not being there. But these are easily things that you can comply with. It's something I've had to do in my workplace. We've brought people back to work, as I said, on past podcasts, and we've been very keen to make sure people are distant. There's enough hand sanitizer in there that people can get in and out of office without coming into contact. So I would urge you to read this story on the HSM website, which, as I say, comes in the building safety group. So if you're on a construction site, just to make sure that you're compliant. But ultimately, this story is good good news. 41% increase in the number of COVID-19 cases is something that you know is, is, is a really positive story over three months. Now I know the country continues to see a decrease in the amount of infections and thankfully fatalities as well, but if we are going to continue to combat this virus until there is a vaccine, a cure, whatever you want to call it, we do need to try and stick to the guidelines as much as possible. And it's great to see that in our sector, in the construction sector, people are really making a good effort to do so. And this will definitely have an overall positive impact on seeing these cases continue to decrease. And of course, all of our fear 
is that we'll see a second spike, especially with the colder weather coming up of the winter. Not that this summer particularly feels that warm in terms of it being a proper summer, but it's listening to building safety group in terms of the things where how you need to follow to make sure you're compliant to help keep these statistics down is going to be key moving forwards. So now I want to shift gears. Now, many of you will know I'm also part of the Fire Safety Matters podcast, which also comes out fortnightly, and you can get it the same way that you get this. Just type Fire Safety Matters into YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc., or Podbeam. And I do that with editor Brian Sims. Now, we don't cover fire safety that much on this podcast because obviously we have our sister publication. But when there's big news, it's relevant. And many of you that work in the health and safety sector are also responsible for fire safety. And one thing that is absolutely a hot topic, obviously no pun intended, across both sectors is competency, particularly in the fire safety market. So you may have seen the big news come out of the fire safety market this week was that the Fire Industry Association, the FIA, has announced that BAFE has acquired the FIA awarding organisation. So this is all to do with the qualifications that the FIA trainers offer. So the actual awarding element of that is that part of the business has been sold to BAFE. So BAFE have now established something called FireCore Limited, which is an off-call approved awarding body to run the existing fire detection and alarm qualifications examinations and to develop new qualifications across the fire sector that will support the call for greater competency and availability verification of skills for those engaged in the fire safety across the UK. Now, I can tell you from sitting on the Fire Sector Federation as a member there, competency, competency, competency. That is what the fire sector is focusing on in the wake of the danger to hack it independent review into fire safety and the building regulations. Competency of fire safety work is the focus. You'll also be well aware that currently going through Parliament is both the first readings of the fire safety bill and also the building safety bill. But competency is at the core of all of this. And this is big news on that front. Bay Firequal will be using the qualification industry experts to operate the business and bring experienced industry and awarding body expertise to the Firequal board. That has already started. There has already been an announcement of who the new board is to do with Firequal from BAFE, and they've already appointed their first full-time employee to help get that moving. The existing FIA, FDA and A qualifications will be transferred to BAFE, and the FIA will continue to include these in their successful range of training courses. Firequal will be offering these essential qualifications to all industry trainers who meet the stringent training centre requirements. All the existing assets of the FIA AO, including the current extensive question banks, are included in this sale. FIA will continue to operate the exams until such time where Bay Firequal is in a position to be fully operational. All delegates, including those who are mid-process, can rest assured that the priority of the FIA and BAFE is a seamless handover of this examination regime, and it's anticipated this transfer will be completed by the end of October 2020. So not long to go. You know, this is good news. I know Stephen Adams very well, the chief executive of BAFE. I know Ian Moore very well, the chief executive of the Fire Industry Association. And this is good news all around. It makes perfect sense. Rather than listen to me, I'm delighted to say that I'll main guest this week is Ian Moore, who's the CEO of the Fire Industry Association. And I sat down with Ian earlier this week to not only ask him about what this deal means, but actually to say 
how busy the FIA have been in things like lobbying government for the new building safety bill and the fire safety bill and how they were also involved and very influential in Judith Hackett's independent review of fire safety. So here's what Ian had to say. Afternoon, Ian. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you very much, Mark. And um, doing another online interview and another online conversation. I think I speak virtually to virtually everybody I, I speak to now. Pretty much uh, still doing the same things. It, it seems to be more hours than it ever has been before. I think because you're more available. I think the nice thing about this is you can actually do 10 meetings a day. And it, it may sound a lot, but it really isn't. It's quite comfortable to do that. So the volume of work is definitely up. We have the office now fully manned. We have a minimum of two people at all time in the office, fully isolated. So the two meter isolations there. We're running training now uh, downstairs. We've been doing that for well over, well, nearly two months now. So that's going very well, well spaced out, well received. And we go through all the correct procedures as per government with heat guns and uh, testings and all these different things we do. So we're doing classroom. And we've also even started doing some hotels that are now starting to open up. So we've done a few hotel training sessions. So I wouldn't say we're back to normal, but I think this is, this is as near to the normal as, as is acceptable at the moment. And everybody's favourite phrase, the new normal. I think that's where we are at the moment. And I'm kind of quite happy going in twice a week and working from home three days. It's, it's, I think that's a, an optimised efficiency. And I think you do need to go in good for morale for the team, good to do my bit to help out as well, to make sure there's people in the office. Certainly it's good to have quick conversations with people face to face because as human beings, we tend to react by people's expressions and uh, you can tell pretty quickly whether people are interested in what you're saying or they're not, whether they believe you, don't believe you, uh, are happy or unhappy. And that's very, very hard to tell when you're sat there on a, on a CTTV monitor because I, I think you'd you're never talking to the eyes you're always talking to the face you see underneath it so nobody's making eye to eye contact you can't do it what a lovely glowing endorsement of the podcast that we're just on in where no one can see us <laughs> but, ah. but you've actually obviously been really busy in other ways you've had some big news coming out you know ever since we've worked with you on our sister publication fire safety matters you and I have constantly talked about competency, qualifications, training. Yep. It's a big part of what the FIA does. So you've had some big news in terms of a, a sale you've made to BAFE. Can you share with our listeners and our readers a bit more information on that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's brand new. Uh, I mean, it's literally not even a week old, the decision on this. And there's still a ways to go to make sure that the, the handover is smooth. And I'll tell you a little bit more about the whys and wherefores in a second. But... Uh, the, mo the biggest priority we're trying to get across to everybody is about continuity. And, and this is looking at past, current and future people are going through training and how it affects them to make sure that they fully understand it makes no difference. There'll be no difference in the value of what they get and what they get. The processes will be exactly the same. So the customer effectively will see absolutely zero difference. The only difference they'll see is when the certificate comes to them on the top, it'll say BAFE, whereas previously it said FIAAO. Why we did it? I think, I think it's kind of historic to look at where BAFE came from originally. I mean, BAFE was part of FIA, the previous organizations altogether. 
which was uh, FITA and BFPSAA, a whole group of companies. And when you start to realize that you're looking at certification schemes, you look to conflicts of interest and things that go on, and it was logical for both to be separated, no more Chinese walls, and stand on its own two feet. It, it reached that sort of level of maturity. It was ready to stand on its own two feet. And that's proven to be working really, really well. So that was a solid decision made uh, whenever that was, seven, eight years ago. I can't remember exactly when. This is the same situation. We tend to be thought leaders, I believe. So the idea of coming up with level three qualifications in the fire industry, we knew that's where we wanted to go. This is on the back of us having third party certification for companies, all of our members. So we're not only looking at competency of companies, we're now looking at the competency of individuals. And it's the nearest thing we're going to get to mandating uh, this because the government won't mandate it. There is no chance of that happening. They're looking for industry to create the pull through, shall we say. So in other words, people should start to demand that people are qualified to do the job they are being hired to do. And now there are those qualifications, there's no excuse. So you look at plausible denial in some situations and situations where people say, well, I think I did the best I can do. Well, no, you didn't. You could have hired qualified people. You could have hired qualified companies uh, to do the job and they were available and, and very apparent. So it's really for the industry now to adopt this. And we're going to start pushing hard now on, on industry to say, you need to be asking these questions of your people and your companies. So why FIA, why to BAFE? We're looking for a neutral position for BAFE to go to. Uh, Ofqual were always very, very keen that we separated the training centre from the awarding organisation. Uh, we had it pretty strong in the office, but they're in the same office. And as much as we had different servers and machines and different staffing, they didn't talk to each other, absolutely not. It's still in the same building. And as every now and again, you overhear something you maybe you shouldn't do and it becomes a situation where we need to prove to the outside world that, you know, it's a bona fide separation. And so the BAFE idea came up um, some time ago and it's been under discussion for some time. And there were other people we were talking to as well about the same separation of, of the AO. But eventually BAFE came through with a, a stronger offering and it's not about money. Yes, there's money involved because we have to repay our members, their investments into this. But it's really about where the right home for it to be. And it was no point turning it to another trading company, effectively. It had to be somebody independent. BAFE was a logical home. They're very, very thankful for it. They're really excited about it. They see it as a true extension to where they want to go. We think it's the perfect place. And we've had, I wouldn't say nothing but compliments. Unfortunately, you always find somebody who wants to pipe up and find criticism in everything you do. And that's probably even breathing. They'll probably complain about that. But, you know, we, 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 we joke about it. We never respond to those people. All we do is just get on with things, talk about the things we do well. And the AO going to BAFE is a good decision. And we're very proud of what we've done. Uh, and we're going to really look forward to working with BAFE. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't go away from us. Uh, we're still going to be very much involved in the way that we understand what they're trying to achieve and guide them as best we can. And the next two months will be the litmus test for us, really, to make sure that it's happening very smoothly. But we've got dedicated teams on it. We've got a lot of people, a lot of questions. They've already set up their awarding organization called FireQual, the registered company. So it's just a smooth transition. And at no time, anybody will see a crack in any of that.
transition. Well, we've done an interview with Stephen Adams, the Chief Executive of BAFE, on our sister podcast, which is the Fire Safety Matters podcast. But Ian, there's a lot more to the FIA just than being the leading training provider in the fire sector. You and working groups, and you personally, as well as working groups, are very active in terms of communicating with government. You've been involved in a number of the huge thing developments that are happening in the fire sector, from giving feedback on the fire safety bill, building safety bill, but also the independent review of fire safety yeah. by Dame Judith Hackett. You know, as we're talking to a health and safety audience here, can you tell us a little bit more about how involved the FIA has been in that independent review by Dame Judith? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll pick up on is you said you're not just a training company. It's actually a valuable thing to say because that's what most people think of us. The trading arm, our training centre, is very much secondary to the actual reason, the raison d'etre of the FIA. The FIA is a trade association and the trade association is there to utterly represent our members. We just felt that there wasn't decent enough training going on around that we could govern, we could use our, our large membership to contribute towards, to shape the questions, the syllabuses, all these different things. And we felt that was a logical extension, but our primary focus in the FIA uh, should never be forgotten, and that is as a trade association. So you're quite right. I mean, to me, the training arm will look after itself because of the quality of what it does, and it's improving all the time through its online and now back to physical uh, but we won't talk about the training let's talk about you know the, the trade association work we set up special interest groups and invite all number of people not just fia members we make sure we get a very broad aspect of all stakeholders and we look at things very recently like the premises information boxes um, in each building now becoming more into the spotlight following what happened with grenfell and the the aftermath of all that so we formed a special interest group. So we do the logistics of it. We put it all on. And then we get Steve Norman from London Fire Brigade to chair it. We look at other uh, special interest groups on the fire bill, which we did. Uh, we had uh, Colin Todd, who's a very uh, prestigious and well-respected leader of the uh, fire risk assessment world. He was chairing that one. So we get everybody together, ask them all the questions, try to come up with a solid answer and represent the industry and all its stakeholders. So fire bill, premises information, fire doors. Uh, we're looking at fire drills during COVID. I mean, it's one of those sort of things you look at, you talk about a health and safety aspect. Nobody went through the process of thinking, well, what's changed through COVID of a fire drill? There's nobody in the building. But if the building's like a factory and it's fully manned. You've got to adapt your fire drills to cope with the two meter distancing. So. We've written a lot of guidance documents on that, and that was a special interest group that's gone in. So MHC, MHCLG, as in the government, get the benefits of the work we do. But as we're not for profit, as you know, this is what we're about. We're about raising that bar in information, guidance documents, professionalism, everything about our industry, trying to represent it. Well, when we talk about raising the bar, obviously in closing, We've done an agreement, a partnership, you know, the FIA and ourselves, Western Business Media, on behalf of the readers of HSM, who you're obviously speaking to now, and Fire Safety Matters. So we've partnered to do yep. an annual guide with you. The, the next December, so December 2021, we're going to be jointly printing an annual guide on the UK fire safety, a guide to UK fire safety. And of course, yep. we've announced that we're going to do a joint awards, the Fire and Security Matters Awards in partnership 
with the FIA. So rather than me talk about it, why is that something that you saw worthwhile in terms of the annual guide to educate people and the awards? Why was that something the FIA was happy to be involved in? We got a lot of offers of this sort of type, as you can probably imagine. But we felt that what the, the, the way that the awards was explained, let's talk about the awards first of all. You can never do enough to, to reward people for the, their efforts they do. And we have various different awards in different areas, but these, these are definitive. So we're, we're very keen to do you know, the awards because being measured by the people from all aspects of the fire industry, uh, and I know quite a few of the judges because you told me beforehand who they're going to be. I'm more than happy to work with them as I have done previously. And we'll give our views from all aspects about various people. And let's reward people for doing a good job. You know, if they're willing to step up and do better than other people, to do as they should do in life safety systems, then we need to make sure that people are rewarded. Every industry has its awards, and this, this is no exception, and we should be rewarding people for doing a good job. As for the magazine, there is a number of things, uh, levels of this. It's, it gives us an opportunity also for our people to write some stories and put some input, our members. And a lot of the things we've done previously is really on the fire and rescue service side of, side of things. We're quite keen to sort of stretch it into other areas that people understand about the work that the fire industry does that you don't see every day. The work on false alarm reject, rejection, the work on new technologies to try and uh, lower prices, new technologies to take to you know to take advantage of the the latest and greatest Wi-Fi's and and connectivity is the internet of things. We have a special interest group on special in, uh, on the internet of things ongoing as well, special interest group. And that we can feed through to the magazine. So these are really relevant up to the dates, up to date stories that are not historically somebody trying to flog their bit of kit and telling them how great their detector is over somebody else's. It's really talking about the technology and where it's going and the advantages of that technology for the customer. So there's a whole load of aspects there. Yeah, from our point of view, we knew partner with the FIA to do this guide. You've always done your annual state of the markets research. That will be incorporated in, into that. And we felt, as we said right at the start of this interview, that the FIA offers so much more than just training. There's a chance to bring experts, like you've said, from various parts of your membership, to talk about all aspects of what you and I would always call the wider UK fire industry, not just firefighting, as you said, but actually cover it. It will be the definitive guide to the latest trends and state of the market across all aspects of fire safety in the UK. So if there's one thing that we would urge people to read a year, this would be the definitive guide. They won't just have a lasting effect for that month, but when you think of what you're involved in now, Ian, as the FIA, it's next year when we're going to start to see, for the first time in a long time, legislation changes. We're going to see the findings of the Grenfelling inquiry. There could not, from our perspective, and I think yours too, be a better time to actually really analyse the state of the UK fire market and give a definitive guide. Yeah, it's going to be a huge year next year. I think a lot of things are going to be uh, coming to their, their natural fruition. Decisions will be made in different areas. But all of these decisions, you've got to remember what the government will and won't do. They'll make some mandated changes, of course. But when it comes down to the majority of this work, it will be the industry needs to adopt it. And it's really, really important. And this is what the Hackett Report was saying in many areas. Like, pull your socks up, guys. It's down to you. You know, you, you as an industry need to govern yourself, look after yourself, 
There are certain key posts that are going to be put into place that will be mandated. But the Scottish government, you know, also have done a fantastic job in the way they have naturally taken on board and changed things a lot quicker than us. And there's some changes that are happening. You look at Wales, for instance, with um, sprinklers into domestic properties. You know, the devolved areas are making decisions quicker than, than central governments, maybe because of the physical size and, uh, that, that's, and, and the slowness of it because of the physical size. I don't know. But the bottom line is we, we are uh, getting to that time now that decisions have to be made. Enough research has been done. We've talked about it enough. There's been endless meetings, endless steering groups in different directions, expert committees. And there have been thousands of them. Now is the crux of it, is to come down and let's make decisions to make a difference. Well, Ian, for those that want to find out more about the FIA, as we said, more than just training and the benefits of becoming a member, what's the easiest way for them to find out more information? Have you got a website they can go to, a way of getting in contact with you? Yeah, the, the website's pretty strong. I mean, again, one of the benefits, I suppose, of lockdown is the fact that you can focus a lot more. And we're finding all the fire professionals are looking there for information on COVID-19. We talked about key worker status and what it meant in the early days, publishing letters from the minister. Uh, we still talk about Brexit because it's absolutely relevant. In fact, the discussion I had today with a special interest group is about the UK CA marking, that you would now see CE markings on all products at the moment that with a no deal situation will suddenly disappear. That could be catastrophic for our industry in the fact that every single piece of equipment will need to have a new marking on. And how will that affect people with a CPR? In other words, having third party certification. It's, a, it's something the government's not thought well through. If they make a change, they're still talking about doing it in 12 months, which is not impossible. And to protect SMEs, which is really our priority, uh, we need a lot longer than that. In fact, just today, we're jointly, and you, you can publish this, no problem, jointly today, BSIA and ourselves have sat down. We, I invited them into our meeting and we decided to do it jointly. And there's a letter gone to Jones Brokenshaw today saying, think very carefully, this could be catastrophic for the security and fire industry if you insist down this path. If you do go down the path of insisting on a UKCA in a no-deal situation, at least give us three years, you know, so accepts other markings. Because if you insist on doing it in 12 months, there is nobody can cope with that apart from the larger companies. And the bread and butter of SMEs coming through will be suffering very, very badly from that. So, as we were saying, if people want to find out more information, what's the web address that they can contact you on? Yeah, it's um, www, the good old one, dot fia dot uk dot com. And you'll find absolutely everything on that website. And uh, it's updated daily in all areas. Ian, well, congratulations on the news, on the sale of the AO and, and how the training's going. And thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Returning to the news, the British Safety Council is calling on the government not to pressurise employers to get workers back into the office. If people can work from home, they should have the choice to work from home for the sake of people's health, well-being and the economy, says the British Safety Council. So this week, people have been encouraged to go back to the workplace as part of the government's campaign. Its message has been simple that employers should reassure staff that it's safe to return by highlighting measures taken to reduce the spread of COVID-19. The new initiative comes as most schools in England and Wales have reopened 
and that's obviously led to relief for workers with childcare duties and in the face of the damage being done with city centres as people continue to work from home. Home working is still a popular choice. Between the 27th of July and 9th of August, 39% of the workforce of businesses that were still trading were working remotely, according to the Office of National Statistics, that is. As well as the reduced contact to work, home working also reduces the potential exposure to the virus while travelling to and from work. Last month, Sir Patrick Vallance, who's the government's chief scientific advisor, made the case that given the spread of the virus is dependent on contact, working from home remains an important option and there's no need to change that advice. So going on from this, the chair of the British Safety Council, Lawrence Waterman, has expressed his concern and said that the British Safety Council is saying this new campaign should be more about choice, treating workers as responsible adults who should agree with their employers a sensible balance of work in a formal workplaces at home. For some, with limited space, distractions like noise and or the desire for contact with colleagues, that balance might be difficult to get struck or it might be struck differently, but it should not be forced by the government to tell employers or workers what arrangement they should make. The government should concentrate on getting track and trace to operate effectively and to ensuring that HSE inspects any workplace that is involved in a COVID hotspot. Only when the government does its job of providing PPE to health and care workers, tracing all COVID contacts, making sure workplaces are legally compliant, providing consistent advice to schools and properly funding self-isolation, is it entitled to give advice on home and workplace balance? So pretty strong words there from the British Safety Council and obviously in particular their chair, Lawrence Waterman. It's an interesting one. I talked on previous podcasts and I talked on just this episode earlier about my own personal experiences of what we've had to do. I can completely understand the British Safety Council's point of view. Without a doubt, only bring people back to the workplace if it's safe to do so. Completely understand the point about if you don't travel much and you don't come into contact, much less chance or maybe no chance of getting the infection. We all understand that. At the same time, I can also understand why the government wants to try and get people back to work where possible, but it has to be done responsibly. The economy is in worse state as any one of us can remember outside of wartime. And yes, getting people back to the office can be an important part. Now, the tack that we've taken, we've listened to the government advice. We, we've listened to what they've said. We've gone to our staff, like many of you have done, and said, you know, you have the ability to work from home, but the office is safe. And, and the great thing for us was more than half of our workforce actively wanted to come in. So we had to really take seriously the risk assessments to make sure it's safe for people to come back. Now, you do need to think about being a modern facing employer. And is this the new normal for us now to encourage home working? Is it is it forward thinking to do so? Ultimately, it's all about is it safe to beat people into the workplace? Personally, my personal view is if it's safe to go into the workplace, I don't see a problem with it. I think it's important for team morale and keep keeping things moving to try and get people together in if it's safe to do so. But at the same time, any vulnerable workers we've had have not come back into the workplace. And I can certainly understand the British Safety Council's points on this. And they're absolutely right. There's a lot of other issues the government has to focus on first where they can confidently say everyone just get back to work uh, and PPE notwithstanding. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's wrong what the British Safety Council are saying in terms of the concerns about how to get people back to work safe. But from my own personal perspective, 
I think if a workplace is safe, it's best as it can be, and precautions have been taken and no staff are forced to go back, then I think I think it's fine for people to start to go back. We need to start moving towards getting some sense of normality back. That's just my personal view on that. But I think it's it's something that from what I speak to, a number of people share that view. And I don't think the government actually think everyone has to go back to work. I think they said, if you can, then see if you can, but only if it's safe. So that's my interpretation of what the government are doing. I think the British Safety Council has, has been a lot more stringent. And I guess it should be because ultimately they're there to try and ensure that workplace safety standards are at the highest possible level. So I do certainly understand their views. And you know, this is something that I thought very much was, was worth covering today. So moving on to our final news story for the day, a public consultation on the international standard ISO slash DIS 45003, which is Occupational Health and Safety Management, Psychological Health and Safety Work, managing the psychosocial risks has now opened and will remain open until the 3rd of October 2020. That was rather a mouthful for me to say, but I think we got to the point of the standard I was trying to talk about. So the BSI, which is the UK's national standards body, is seeking consultations from business owners, line managers, HR and occupational health and safety professionals and anyone else who has an interest in psychological health and well-being at work to take part in this. The standard provides guidance on protecting psychological health by managing psychological risks within an occupational health and safety management system. It aims to enable organisations to manage this complex and important aspects of occupational health and safety and promote well-being at work. It covers how to identify the conditions, circumstances and workplace demands that can impact the psychological health and well-being of workers, how to identify primary risk factors and assess them to determine what changes are and can be made to limit those risks and finally how to control work-related hazards and manage psychosocial risks within an occupational health and safety management system. So ISO 45003 is applicable to organisations of all sizes and all sectors from the development, implementation, maintenance and continual improvement of safety and health workplaces. The standard is currently being developed by the International Occupational Health and Safety Management Technical Committee, which is ISO slash TC283, and so far has received input from hundreds of experts for more than 40 countries. So really on this front, I don't really have anything to add further to it, but this is really the reason I've shared it with you, is to encourage as many of you people to engage with it as you can. The BSI is asking for your feedback. It'll get the best possible feedback if more and more of you do help them out with this guidance that they want the consultation input on. So if you would like to give any comments, you can register online to give your comments and the web address. I won't read it out in full. I'll just give you the, the general one, which is standardsdevelopment.bsigroup.com. So that is standardsdevelopment.bsigroup.com. I'm sure if you go on to bsigroup.com, you'd find it. So please do give any feedback and comments that you can on that. And as I said, that's open until the 3rd of October. So you've got about a month to give your feedback on that. So it's time now to introduce our final guest to this episode of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. Delighted that I was joined by Andy Mee, who'd worked at Havi for a number of years and has now set up his own company, Blue Health. 
I sat down with Andy earlier and we talked about the problems facing the health and safety market, particularly to do with PPE that isn't adequate. And, you know, to get an insight into his new business, which I think will be of interest to many of you. So I sat down with Andy earlier and here's what he had to say. Morning, Andy. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, all good. Well, you've got a lot going on. All changed for you. So obviously, you know, I've used to working with you for a number of years when you've been at Havi. Can you tell us all about your new venture and if you're still doing stuff with Havi? Yeah. Um, so as, as you know, I've been at Havi many years, 13, 14 years, and done, done some fantastic work, built up an amazing team, uh, but just felt like I'd had, do you know what, you sort of need to change. You need new challenges. So... Um, so I went into, uh, so I thought, what can I do differently? Came up with a new, a few different ideas, but still wanted to be involved with Habby and sort of go off and do new stuff. So basically what I've done is I've done exactly that. The unfortunate thing though, Mark, is I did it right before COVID. So <laughs> the challenges have been um, somewhat unexpected, as, I, as I'm sure a lot of people listening can sort of empathise with, definitely. Well, you know, I think both you and I got something in common there. Um, you buying a business, you starting a business right before a pandemic. That's when we'll have a beer on at some point. Um, that is definitely. If you get, if we get through it all, we'll be uh, make what doesn't kill us makes us stronger and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So, but but I'm excited for you. Um, and I know our listeners will be interested in what your new business is. So can you tell us the name of the new business and and, and what yeah. what you're offering? So there's a few things. So I set up a. Um, a sort of mini sort of consultancy, I suppose. It's um, myself doing what is my strength, which was building um, health and safety systems, like in, in the form of databases. Because what we did at Havi is we did a Havi Total database, which for me is still leaps and bounds ahead of anything out there for its capabilities and what it does. And because I've learned an awful lot from that sector of how to integrate, I suppose, IT or systems into health and safety, I wanted to sort of explore that that more and more so blue health was a, a company basically set up in order to do that and what's come out of that is two avenues really one is a, um, a quite a well i think an innovative e-learning platform but it's it would be innovative if it's my opinion wouldn't it but it's a, a product-based e-learning platform so the gap in the market that i sort of saw was there's a lot of e-learning platforms that generalize health and safety topics but what the e-learning platforms don't do is they don't have a centralised product e-learning platform. So, for instance, if you're using a noise meter or if you're using a gas detector, there might be a generalised how to use this or a generalised this is the risk that the person's going to be up against. But there's no specific training on how to use that particular meter or that particular bit of kit. So that's that's where I've gone down. So very product-specific e-learning. And on the other side of it, because uh, I thought, well, one of my big concerns is the, with this pandemic going on and COVID, and um, I think we've chatted previous about it as well, Mark, is the influx of poor quality safety equipment and PPE coming into the UK. And I think it's everybody in our industry is quite, you know, it's, it's definitely something we're fearful of because there's going to be a lot more competition from outside of the UK that aren't regulated as well as we are, that aren't as good ethical maybe would be the right term to use, but in my opinion again, as we are. And so what I wanted to do was do a, a database called uh, ppeguy.com, 
And what that does is it gets all the good PPE, all the good manufacturers of PPE, um, some of which I've worked with for years and I know the equipment that they produce and put it onto a database. And then people, if they are looking to purchase stuff, they can have a look at that database and see if it is good database, look at all its certification, get an idea of what's actually in the marketplace that they should be using, not unfortunately like a lot of people do, go and do an eBay search and pick the cheapest bit of kit that isn't really doing what they want it to do. So really it's getting as much information to to users as possible, I suppose, in a nutshell. <laughs> So I guess what, what, what you're really saying there is, you know, your, your service is really trying to champion quality. I mean, you know all the major manufacturers, you work with them, you've been at exhibitions with them, you're friends with them. And I think when we were talking off air, as you said there, your biggest concern is that the market's going to flood with substandard product that just doesn't do yeah. the job it's meant to do, doesn't protect you in the way it's meant to be. So for you, I guess, if, if you had a message, I guess, if you're asking people why they should come to you so you can try and steer them in the right directions and the reasons why yeah. they'd be seeing that direction what i suppose i'd like to do is i the more manufacturers that that get in touch with me i suppose uh, and manufacturers are more than users and i'm not i'm not what i'm not trying to do is take um, what the bsif do let's say because bsif do an awesome job in basically trying to you know obviously control or trying to sort of influence uh, good ppe within the UK, which is which is awesome, and I'm a big supporter of that. But what I'd like to do is make sure that the equipment that's good, we almost champion, and we put that onto a database, say this is the only equipment that really should be out there. And from a second point of view, what I'd like to do is make sure that that equipment is used correctly, because there's a lot of stuff out there that is, that's awesome, that has awesome features, benefits. The majority of them actually don't get used to the full potential either. So that's another thing. It's just about getting that, getting the information out there to the user so they can maximise the value of their products that they've purchased. And so the more manufacturers that get in touch with me, users that want more information, you know, they can get in touch with us through my website, bluehealth.com, B-A-L-O-O, health.com is in the bear. <laughs> and the more people get in touch, the better it is really, because everyone's working together. Well, we wish you all the best of luck with the new venture. And I know you're still doing some stuff with Javi as well on a consultancy yeah, basis. Yeah, we're happy. And uh, yeah, well, thanks for your time today and best of luck with everything. Oh, no, spot on, Mark. Thanks for the call. And that's all we've got time for in this episode of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. We thank our sponsors, the Health and Safety Event, which, as I mentioned earlier, takes place on the 27th, 28th and 29th of April 2021 at the NEC in Birmingham. And it's co-located with the Fire Safety Event, the Facilities Event, the Security Event, Main Tech, and for the first time, the Emergency Services Show. If you register for free at the event at healthandsafetyevent.com, you can get access to all of the other shows that are co-located. And... Also, if you want to get more information from the health and safety sector, please do go to our website where we have breaking daily news. You can sign up for free to receive a twice weekly newsletter or to receive the print publication Health and Safety Matters six times a year or completely free to do so. And you can also go to our webinars and get CPD points for listening back to the on-demand service. Just click on the webinars tab on our website. And our website, for those of you that missed it, is www.hsmsearch.com 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. Now, we'll be back in a fortnight, but please do share the word about this podcast with your industry colleagues. Please do give us a positive rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. But thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on the Health and Safety Matters podcast.